1: Getting a little bit cooler. For those of us who love the beach, I'm one of them. I've just noticed water's starting to get a little cooler. The morning time's it's getting a little cooler. Although I think it's going to be 30-something tomorrow. So there you go. There's something about living in Perth. Just when you think, you know, summer's over, it's like, ah, no, 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 no. I'm still here. Let me just share a few things with you that are very challenging. Swimming to Rottnest apparently is very challenging. Uh, the furthest I can swim, I can, now I've worked, after two years, I can, I can probably do a kilometre, uh, and then after that I'm, I'm history, but swimming too, <laughs> rottenness, is very challenging. Starting a business, very challenging. Any, anyone started a business? It's, uh, I don't know what the stats are, something like there was a, a high percentage of businesses within the first five years just don't take off. Because it's hard. Uh, raising children is challenging. And for any children who are here, it's, don't take it personally. It's just uh, <laughs> mum and dad used to be a child and our parents said the same thing. Living with MND, MS, PT, SD, ASD and any other chronic illness, condition, a chronic pain, uh, very, very challenging the spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting very challenging i think for those of us in the west we you know we, we fast from 11 at night till 7 in the morning and, that, and then we break we have breakfast break the fast but the idea of a day two days without food uh, and and focusing really pressing into the lord very challenging but forgiving People who have hurt us, extremely challenging. People who have caused us pain and grief, whether it's through abandonment, neglect, abuse, racism, intimidation, manipulation. Just that pain caused by another person, and particularly when that other person is someone we're close to, a spouse, a parent, a sibling, a pastor, an elder, a teacher, a coach, it's that sort of pain and hearing a preacher or someone saying, and we need to forgive them, it's like it seems so easy and yet it's so hard and it feels like no like they're going to get away with it I want you just for a moment as we uncover this message uh, love like Jesus and forgive like Jesus because Jesus forgives sinners the one on the cross being tortured humiliated belittled uh, he said, Father, forgive them. But whatever the offence is, that one or two that may have taken place some time ago, and the moment there's sometimes a name and there's a situation and it comes to the surface and you feel it all over again, you might feel it all over again this morning. But I want to assure you that this is a safe place. The Elevate community is a, a safe place. And sometimes in life, like when I and my siblings used to have to do a spring cleaning uh, once a year. It was a, a plan of mum and dad, and we, we gave all of Saturday cleaning the house and everything. The blinds went down, the curtains, everything in a cupboard, everything went out. And by the time we had morning tea, the place looked worse. It, it was like, what are we, what are we doing? But... By late afternoon on the Saturday, it was just like, whoa, there's order. It's just, this morning could be like that. For the first few minutes, it it could be, oh, this is getting messy and I'm not really happy. You know, this is very uncomfortable. Hang in there. The Holy Spirit wants to bring order again. He wants to empower us to forgive. You see, I I like what C.S. Lewis said. We all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. (laughs) Love like Jesus. Three weeks, we're going to spend time learning to love like Jesus, leaning into Jesus so that we can love like Jesus. Not love like Oprah, not love like Prince Harry, love like Taylor Swift. Love like Jesus. And I'll be the first to say it's impossible without Jesus. We love because he first loved us and he's poured his love into us so that we can love him and we can love other people and we can forgive those who have hurt us. I'd like to share with you a story from Luke chapter 7 verse 36. It would be in my top five gospel stories. I love it, and I'm not gonna read the whole story to you. I encourage you when you get a chance, just read Luke 7:36 to 50. But it's a compelling story of contrast. We're going to see there's this contrast between a very prominent Pharisee. Religious ruler in Judaism, highly educated, probably quite wealthy. A contrast between Simon the Pharisee and an unnamed woman who has and is living a sinful life. We'll get to that in a moment, what that could possibly be. But it's not the first time in the Gospels that particularly a woman who has been involved in some sexual sin, her name is not mentioned You go to John chapter 4 and there is a Samaritan woman, we don't know her name, but we know that she has been in several relationships and basically it's a disaster. She is a walking disaster when it comes to relationships and probably more of a reflection of her, it's probably more of a reflection on the men that she's married. There's an unnamed woman caught in the act of adultery, don't know what happened to the guy. Last I checked, I think you need two people. But anyhow, she was dragged out of the act of adultery and was about to be stoned to death, primarily by men, self-righteous men. We don't know her name. This woman in the story, we don't know her name. Maybe it's because the gospel writers want to protect and just that sense of her dignity has been restored. Let's just say a woman. We're going to see a contrast between a proud religious insider, someone who is inside Judaism, and someone who would be considered an outsider. But we're going to see, but extremely humble. We will see a contrast between very restrained hospitality and unrestrained, extravagant hospitality. Verse 36, when one of the Pharisees, in a moment we'll know his name is Simon, but when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisees' house and reclined at the table. We have an introduction to something we're not overly familiar with, and it's the Eastern custom of hospitality. Some still practice today, but we're going back to first century this custom where it would be quite common, particularly people like a Pharisee, to bring in a rabbi, a teacher like Jesus. Now, there could be mixed motives. It could be, well, I want to show hospitality, but quite often, oh, if I get this person in, it really does a a lot for my public image. I'm getting this guest uh, preacher, this guest rabbi, rabbi. And so Simon invites Jesus. And we know in about verse 50 that there are other guests there, and Simon might have invited some of his other Pharisee, um, priestly, Levitical friends, uh, because you know it's all about connection. And if Jesus was invited, chances are he probably brought at least a few of his disciples. Maybe Peter, James and John often did that. And so here we have, you know, this, this sort of this meal going on, and we in the West, we, we do hospitality, but we're probably a little bit more fluid. There's no rules, there's no law, uh, but you know, usually if you're going to someone's house, you, you bring something. Um, if you know them well, you, you might bring you know, kombucha, or you might bring wine or beer, you try and find out what they like, and... If it's a barbecue, you might just inquire, look, uh, do you want us to bring the meat? Uh, you know, there's sort of a, a few c- cues and protocols and then you go and you share and, you know, you have a great time and then there's a cue, sometimes it's a bit vague of how long should you stay as a guest and you, you know, might say, I guess, yeah, what have you got on tomorrow or oh, got kids going to sport, oh, look, we better, we better go, uh, even though it's only 9.30, they're yawning, they're looking at the watch, um, the guy's, gone out to the rubbish bin, he's putting the rubbish bin at the front. You know, all all the cues. just like there is this thing that the way we do hospitality, but I tell you what, Eastern hospitality, ancient Eastern hospitality, extremely generous and usually inclusive. So we've got Jesus sitting, not at a high table like we, you know, it's probably, you know, you see in Japan and other places, a very low table, more couches than chairs, and he's perhaps leaning on, his legs not under the table, probably, probably can't fit under the table, so they're, they're behind him facing the wall. And all is going very well until verse 37 we read, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, keeping it a little vague, probably not gossip, I don't think is the issue. Uh, she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there, she came prepared, not with a bottle of wine, but with an, an alabaster jar of perfume. So here we have this meal is happening, there's a bit of vibe, and this woman interrupts. Now we might think, whoa, she's not invited. No, she wasn't. But in Eastern times, it's quite common. Word gets around, oh, Simon is hosting Jesus and you know, this thing happening. There was... Uh, you, you could actually go in, you couldn't sit at the table but you might stand at the background and you, you don't usually get involved in the conversation, you listen, you observe and if you're poor there was sometimes allowance at the end of the meal that you could get you know, doggy bag or whatever it might be and so this woman, though it, there was a protocol of coming in, uh, she took a risk because she was known by the Pharisee and known by the city of her sinful life. She goes there knowing something about Jesus. It's not like, oh, who is he? It appears she's heard him before. Perhaps she's heard him preach. Perhaps she's seen him heal. Or she knows about Jesus that he is a friend of sinners, that he is a friend of people like her. So she comes in, and in verse 38, we read, And as she stood behind him, Jesus, at his feet, weeping, she wet his feet with tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. We're going to comment on this extravagant act of worship and hospitality in a moment. But the rude host was not amused. And he said to himself, if this man, referring to Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Again, it's just reinforcing, I think her issue is more than gossip and lying. I think it's a very, it's a way of saying she's probably very sexually. Promiscuous, and in Judaism at that time, you know, it's all about sexual purity, at least on the outside. So he's having this thought to himself, and Jesus is a prophet because he knows what he's thinking. And, uh, And it's like, yes, this woman did touch Jesus. This sinful woman touched Jesus with her hands, her lips, and her hair. Now, again, we, we could overlook oh, yeah, and she'd dry them with her hair. You know, no biggie. Oh, biggie. Real biggie. A woman keeps her hair covered in public. To take your hair out was seen as being sexually promiscuous and scandalous. So she's actually doing what people know about her and it's like she's doing it at the table in front of this so-called prophet and Pharisees. She's uncovered her hair. And yet Jesus doesn't appear to be embarrassed. Jesus isn't offended. Jesus in no way comes across as feeling, oh, I've just been spiritually defiled. This woman has touched me. Because Jesus, no, he's not embarrassed. He's marveling at this woman. This is true worship. And she is exposing the religious spirit of Simon and some of the other religious people there. So Jesus responds to Simon's hidden self-righteousness and religious bias with a little story. So now we've got a story within a story, verse 41. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money, and I'll put in brackets, the capacity to pay him back. So he, the moneylender, forgave the debts. Nice little story, the money lender is Jesus, the woman is the debtor who owes 500 denarii and Simon the Pharisee is the one who only owes 50. Don't in any way think that Jesus is saying her sin is worse, it's just, it's it's a story but it's got a point and the point hurts. Denarius, so the singular of denarii is a day's wage, so let me just put this in Today's context, we have a sinful woman who's been forgiven 500 days' salary, which you look at today's average pay per day, you do your math, that comes out to be $135,000 she owes. Some in the Pharisee, he's been forgiven 50 days' wages, which is $13,500. Then Jesus, I love this. I'd love to have been to fly on the wall. Jesus asked Simon a very direct, kingdom set up question. Ah, uh, now which of them will love more? Ah, oh, yeah. You can imagine him the way he said it. Probably not looking at the eyes of Jesus, or I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly. Up until now, you have judged poorly. You are quite correct. Now comes the comparison. Here is Jesus' observation. The sinful woman, she humbly washed my dirty feet with tears of repentance and dried them with her hair. In contrast, Simon the Pharisee didn't even offer Jesus water to wash his dirty feet and hands. Rude, really rude. Rude. The sinful woman kissed the feet of Jesus. In contrast, Simon did not greet Jesus with the customary kiss on the cheek. We in Australia don't do that, and all the men said, Amen. (laughs) The woman poured expensive perfume on Jesus' head. No, I haven't got, I can't prove it, but if she is a woman of the night, what if that perfume is part of her trade? the perfume she uses before she meets her clients, and she's pouring that on Jesus. Simon didn't even pour common olive oil on the head of Jesus. The fact that the woman did all of this, to me, is a testimony that her life has already been transformed by Jesus. And she came into this gathering, this banquet, knowing she could be told to get out and humiliated, but she came in because she desperately wanted to express gratitude. She wanted to love on Jesus because she understands she has been Forgiven. And then Jesus says in verse 47 Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. It's not like, in a sense, she sinned more because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but certainly in Judaism, in religion, there would be the sense of, oh, this woman lives a sinful life. Oh, he, he, he's a little bit of sin, a little bit of gossip, a little bit of exaggerating. Sometimes he doesn't tithe his, you know, his herbs, even though it wasn't required. But the, you know, the Pharisees are doing more than the law requires. Just, And then he says to the woman, verse 48, your sins are forgiven. Verse 50. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The hero of this story was an unnamed sinful woman. Not a Jewish, highly educated Pharisee named Simon. And then the guest said, and there's a clue, there are other people, who is this who even forgives sins? Because that culture, you go to the priest. But Jesus is the great high priest. Love like Jesus. Forgive like Jesus. So when it comes to forgiveness, we've got a choice. The first thing we like to do, we do like to do, is we like to feed the hurt. So something has been done to us, something, someone has said something or didn't say something, did something or didn't do something that has wounded us, hurt us, and we feed it. So it's not just something of the past, we actually bring the past into the present. And we press the replay button, and we replay, and we pause, rewind, slow motion, replay, replay. Pause, play, rewind, and just go over and over. And you think, why do we do that? We've been hurt. And you think, wouldn't we be better off just putting in the past, but there's something in our humanity, in our brokenness, that we go back and we go back, and what we feed grows. It takes root. So rather than just be something that happened in the past, it is now all-consuming, it is part of who we are, It's taken root. We have now this root of bitterness, resentment, shame, hate, hate for the person, sometimes hate for ourselves, and we become spiritually obese because we are on a diet of resentment, criticism, and shame. So we we feed it. I can't believe. After all I did, why did they do that? I deserve better and all this, just this replay, replay, replay. So we, we, we do that and that's more of a private thing. But then we find, oh, I've found other people who've also been hurt like me, who are feeding their hurt. So we have fellowship with the wounded. Let me tell you my story. And you tell them, oh, let me tell my story. And oh, actually, I think my story is worse than their story. Can I tell my story again? And uh, I'm having a party next week. It's my pity party. If you could come along, because I'm going to get to tell you my story. But I'm going to give more detail this time. And, and so it's, it's this fellowship. And, and as we hear each other's story and we tell ours again and again, and their response it just, oh, it, it amplifies, it, it justifies, it's like it adds fuel. It's like, Oh, this rage, I can't believe. My father, that priest, my mother, that person, my spouse, my partner, my child said this, didn't say this, did this, didn't do that. just this trauma, this pain. We feed it really bad option and i've done it many a time and over the years as a pastor i found other pastors who had similar stories and it just yeah us versus them it really bad takes you to a much darker place the alternative we free the hurt And this is where we begin to react. (sighs) What, you let it go? They get away with it? No, no, no. It's got nothing to do with a person who hurt you. It's got everything to do with us and our relationship with God. You know, the prayer, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What we need, like this woman, that she didn't have the Gospels, what we need is a revelation or maybe a fresh revelation of the unconditional love and reckless mercy of God. But why we were still sinners, Christ died for us what sort of love is that and god would say in psalm 103 and as far as the east is from the west now i'm i'm not the smartest guy around but i reckon that's a really long way as far as the east is from the west so god has removed our sin when we come to him oh god forgive me i mean this is reckless this is wild this is untamed We need that revelation. We need that sense of, oh God, I really want to forgive because I know the bitterness and everything else that's going on, it's really hurting bad, but I can't do it on my own. And God says, no, you can't. You need my love to love. You need my forgiveness to forgive. So how do we do that? Well, one of the ways I found very helpful is I go to my, my hurt file. There might be something in your mind. It might be, I just want to demonstrate. And so I've got all these files, all these people that have hurt me. Oh, some of them go back to 1968. Relief teacher, she, she really embarrassed me. There's elders and there's pastors my father, I've got dates, I've got the person's name, what they're wearing, Um, the circumstances, how it made me feel, how it still makes me feel. And every now and then I just read them and read them and read them. And and God says, so how is that working? You're feeding it. What else am I meant to do? Destroy your hurt files. Free. Uh, this is like history. This is part of my life. No, no, that's your past. It's not who you are. But they're going to get away. No, no, no. It's got nothing to do with a person. So you've got a choice. The pain of resentment, shame, bitterness or the pain of letting it go because it's actually going to hurt. Painful, there's something in us. We want want justice. Do you want justice for you as well? Oh, not not for me. I get a revelation of the reckless love of God. I just go, I've been forgiven so much. So much, just like that woman. Because I've been forgiven much, there's much love, and that love empowers me to free the hurt. Oh, 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 uh, uh, n- Rob. Yeah. 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 Mark Pomery didn't really mean that when he... No, oh, sorry. <laughs> you have to forgive me. <sighs> forgiveness doesn't change the past. The past is the past. And some of us have experienced horrific things that a child or any person was never meant to experience. But what forgiveness will do... It will change your present and it will change your future. We've still got the memory, but it's when we, in our mind, in a prayer to God, we say, Father, forgive them. I forgive them. It may not be the first day, but in time, and I know this by experience, I've done the feeding. I've done the freeing. The memory is there, but after a while, that, it's not as toxic. After a while, and I did this with one person who hurt me probably more than anyone else in the church. I remember it took a long time. I'm going for a walk along Scarborough Beach. So over time, I've forgiven. And then I started praying blessing. That's not Rob. That's Christ in Rob. This love that is poured into my heart. When we get a revelation that we have been forgiven much, we will have the capacity to love much. I have found when I haven't been able to forgive the real issue, I was void of love it wasn't so much a discipline I was void of love but when I allowed the father to fill this child again with his love it's like love on steroids I was able to say to all of these people I forgive you love like Jesus